Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let Mom's Green Thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give Mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact. With semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch, it's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Before we roll the audio on this PFT Live podcast, we want you to know that Mike Florio does an afternoon podcast. Why? To catch all the late-breaking news and developing stories in the NFL, of course. So you got to subscribe to PFT PM as well. Go to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Art19, or Google Play. Search PFT PM and subscribe. Boom. Done. Thanks for the support. Now, stats. Another hour of the PFT Live podcast. Monday edition of Pro Football Talk Live, NBC Sports Radio, NBCSN. Hello to our good friends in the UK and in Ireland enjoying the program on Sky Sports. Peter King is in. Chris Sims is on vacation. It always sounds better when I say Chris Sims is on assignment. He's on assignment. His assignment is a vacation. Peter is with me today and tomorrow. Two days this week for Peter King. This I'm honored to be graced by the king who is Peter King for the next two days. I'm glad to have you, Peter. Mike, it'll be good to be here. It seems like there's not a lot to talk about, but of course there is a lot to talk about. And I think one of the cool things about this time of year is instead of careening from one thing to another, you know, we'll be able to have some time to talk about some things thoughtfully and, and hopefully give some topics, you know, you, you ended your first hour talking about Taysom Hill. I know we're going to get to Taysom Hill later in the show, but to me, he might be, might be, uh, you know, uh, except for the veteran quarterbacks, except where does Brady go, where does Phillip Rivers go and all that. I think Taysom Hill is an incredibly interesting story in this offseason, and we're going to get to him later in the show. Taysom Hill was the best player on the field for either team in the wild card game between the Vikings and the Saints. If the Saints had used him just a little bit more, they would have advanced to the divisional round. I'm convinced of that. He's due to be a restricted free agent. And Sean Payton told you some things that we're going to present and we're going to analyze. And I have an idea that you may have heard on the end of the radio hour as to what I think a team could do, not just to help itself this year, but maybe next year if they really want to try to get Taysom Hill away from the Saints. That's coming up later in the program. For now, though, 
We get to talk about a different football league. And Peter, I, I don't know that skeptical is the right word. I, I'm, I'm just, I'm careful with new football leagues because new football leagues inevitably become failed football leagues. And I don't want to assume that the XFL is going to fail, but I don't want to get invested in it emotionally. I don't want to fall in love with the XFL and then have the XFL go away. I've had my heart broken enough times by football leagues that I kind of liked that went away. With that said, and, and I also kind of like the fact that we can really maintain full and complete independence here. We have no affiliation, no association, no broadcasting relationship with the XFL. So we can say what we truly believe the way we want to say it without any phone calls coming from Vince McMahon or Oliver Luck. The, all that said, and I went into it wanting to not really like it, wanting to not tie up six hours on a Saturday and six hours on a Sunday. I kind of liked it. Now, I didn't love it. They need star players, and they're not going to thrive the way they could without Johnny Manziel or Trevor Lawrence or whatever college guys are all the rage, pay him $5 or maybe, million dollars or to maybe, play for you. Maybe Carly Lloyd. That would be another one. Somebody who would get us to tune in. It can't just be the uniforms. It can't just be the really cool kickoff formation, which I think the NFL needs to adopt. We'll talk about that in a minute. But, Peter, if this league is going to thrive, it needs star power. And all due respect, P.J. Walker, Jordan Ta'amu, that's not the star power that's going to get people to tune in. It's not. Um, when you look at the stars that make the NFL go, you, you're not going to be anywhere close to that in the XFL. And they need to spend the money to attract star players. And they're out there if they really want to do it. Yeah, I would disagree with you on that, Mike. I think that would be basically, uh, you know, that would be, like the kid is hungry, uh, the kid is screaming, let's shut him up and give him a candy bar because that'll shut him up. They'll shut him up for a little while, but he's going to scream again soon. In my opinion, the reason that these leagues uh, don't work usually is that they don't have their eye on the long haul. They say we need to get that real quick sugar buzz, you know, like the XFL in 2001. Yeah, I will never forget. I was at that first game in Las Vegas writing for Sports Illustrated. And Dick Ebersole, Vince McMahon, the day before the game, this was a major, major media event. Everybody was so excited about it. Uh, they had a huge TV rating on Saturday night, primetime TV. Uh, and then next week, they the week after that, they landed on the cover of Sports Illustrated. And, and you know, it didn't last. That league's dead after one year. The way that you do this is not to take guys who flamed out of the NFL like Johnny Manziel. I mean, if you are if you are staking your future on guys like Johnny Manziel, you're going to die. And again, I totally agree with you being very, very equivoc equivocal about basically, you know, the future of this league. All these leagues look great at the beginning. All these leagues have great optimism. I read all the quotes from the ESPN talent before the first game and here's why this league is going to last and why it has a great chance. And, and I just said, man, the, but, but they're not credible. They, we can't, we have to assume that look, they're televising the games. So all due respect, any right. of the stuff from ESPN and Fox is corrupted by the reality. And this is fair for us to say it. They have the game. So you have to view it through that prism, right? They want it to be successful. They're trying to speak it into existence. And I'm just skeptical because I don't want to get burned. Listen, the, the greatest thing that happened this weekend, I thought, is that 
if you looked at that game in Washington on Saturday, that looked like an event that was cool and that people wanted to be at. You know, the stadium there, and it was in a 20,000-seat soccer stadium, which was 85% full. And it was an enthusiastic crowd. That is what they need to do. This league should not be playing in MetLife Stadium. It looks awful. It looks like nobody cares. And they say, okay, where else are we going to play? Well, I don't know. You play at Rutgers, play somewhere else. I mean, but I just don't think you should play in a place that, you know, except on views like this, okay, where all you're seeing is football, you know, it, 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 anything other than a camera from the top of the stadium, you know, looking down, it just, it just doesn't look like anybody cares. So I, I mean, but, but again, in general, this game, this team, these teams will have a chance if people just simply do not get greedy. Peter, you're absolutely right about how it looks on TV. All four of the games had between 17 and 18,000 people in attendance. But the D.C. defenders hosting the Seattle Dragons felt like a bigger deal because the stadium felt full. The game last night between Dallas and... And who did Dallas play? The St. Louis Battlehawks, the only St. road Lewis. team to win this weekend. Yeah, it the entire when the when they when you have constant shots of the upper deck empty and the lower deck spotty. Eventually, you ask yourself, why am I watching this? This is why the NFL had a blackout rule for all those years. The NFL wants full stadiums. This is why for Super Bowl one, before it was even called the Super Bowl, they took all the people at the Coliseum and scrunched them in so when they had shots of the stands, they would look full instead of spotty all the way around. If it feels like a big deal, we think it's a big deal. The Saturday game between Seattle and D.C. felt like a big deal, even though it was roughly the same number of people because they have a stadium that holds 20,000 people. You're absolutely right. You know, Seattle is going to be playing at CenturyLink Field. What's that going to look like? Now, they've supposedly had an uptick in ticket sales, since the Seahawks season ended, but they're not going to have people in the upper deck, are they? They're not going to have a crowd like they have for a Seahawks game. And and if that's how it's going to be, you got to find smaller venues for these teams. Yeah, I think so. And I think that that should be part of this league's plan. And look, a, a year or so ago, uh, I met with Oliver Luck and listened to everything. And look, everybody's plan sounds good. And I hate to say this, but... All these plans sound good until you get hit in the jaw, <laughs> you know, or whatever the yep. Mike Tyson thing is. But but to me, I mean, look at this. This when you look at the crowd in Washington and look at those stadiums, look, and I and 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 I don't know what any of these teams are gonna do, but if I were that New York team, I'd be playing in Red Bull Stadium in Harrison, New Jersey. It's a soccer stadium, and it's designed for a soccer crowd. I don't know. 25,000. Those are the venues. And I know that this league wants to be big league, but you don't look big league when there is what appears to be confetti in your stadium. Those are the fans. Now, as to the star, one last point I want to make about the stars or lack thereof. I'm a firm believer they should be attracting guys from college football who aren't eligible yet for the draft. We know who they are. You identify the stars, you pay them 
a decent amount of money to come play for you versus sticking around at Clemson for one more year if you're Trevor Lawrence. And maybe that's part of the plan once they get their feet under them. But I think that's a way to get more people invested and interested. And there's going to be a steady stream of guys who establish themselves in the first year or two of their college careers that you can then pay real money. Now, what it would ultimately do is completely disrupt the college system and maybe get them to pay these guys to fend off the XFL. But I think that's a potential path to success. Now, uh, regard, however long it lasts, Peter, right? I mean, it may not last more than two years. Uh, last year, the XF, or last time the XFL made it one year. Last year, the AAF imploded during the opening season. I'm always looking for things that the NFL can cherry pick. And the thing that I love is the kickoff. First of all, it looks like electric football when you've got 10 guys <laughs> and 10 other guys five yards apart just standing there until the returner catches the kick. That is awesome. But the far better aspect of it is it takes the high-speed collision out of the kickoff, which will reduce concussions and serious neck injuries. And I don't know why the NFL hasn't pondered something like this. I love this. Yeah, and what was interesting about it, Mike, is that, look, three or four years ago uh, at a competition committee press conference at at the NFL League meetings, you know, I forget, I think it was Rich McKay and Troy Vincent basically sounded the clarion call for the kickoff in the NFL. And they basically said, look, if we continue to have all these concussions on the kickoff, we're getting rid of it. And and I mean, it was very, very clear. And that was the marching orders. Now, concussions have gone down. They certainly have. But I don't know if I saw one kickoff this year that I would consider to be electrifying. And so therefore, and again, you don't, I mean, Cordero Patterson is fun to watch. The guy the Saints have, he's fun to watch. He's a punt returner mostly. Um, But I just look at this and I say, it's common sense. You know, at some point soon, the kickoff is either going to go away totally or you're going to do something like this, which I don't even know. We've only seen it a few times now. And I don't know if it's the smartest thing to do, but I know that these are the kind of ideas that the NFL should look at to judge whether the kickoff has a future in football. The first XFL game on Saturday afternoon, the defenders hosting the Dragons drew 3.3 million average viewers on ABC last year. The AAF debut had 2.9 million on a Saturday night on CBS. So it's a little bit better. We'll see if it lasts. Peter, as you said, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. And the question is, will this be the next league to fade into, as Mike Tyson once said, Bolivian? We'll find out over the coming weeks, months, and years if the XFL can make it. You mentioned memorable kick returns. The only one that stands out for me, Miko Hardman sparking the Chiefs when they were down 24-0 in the divisional round of the playoffs. The real spark in that game and every other postseason game for the Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes. Peter spoke to him Recently, in the aftermath of Super Bowl 54, Peter will tell you what he learned from Patrick Mahomes and Patrick Mahomes' father, Pat Mahomes, when PFT Live continues right after this. Patrick Mahomes, Super Bowl 54 MVP, spoke with Peter King, not just after the game. He did that. He's also spoken to him. More recently, for a half hour, the conversation debuts Tuesday on the Peter King podcast. So, Peter, the dust has settled. The confetti has fallen. Patrick Mahomes had a chance to catch his breath and and 
ponder what had been. What did you learn from Mahomes when you spoke to him? Well, I talked to him Friday morning for a half hour, and uh, I, I thought what was a good sign after seeing him, you know, catch a line drive Coors Light and shotgun it and then spike it. I said, man, this has been a fun week for you. And he was just on his way home from working out when he, when he called me. And so, oh, good, look at this. I mean, this is, <laughs> I don't know. That, there you go. That's a 24-year-old kid. I love that. And, you're, and we're replaying it. We're replaying it. <laughs> but no, I mean, this is one thing. But I think the fact that he's 24 years old, he had fun, and he had his fun, and he's going to continue to have it. That's one thing. But as his dad told me, he goes, look, Patrick's going to get back in the lab and he's going to work hard. He's going to come back better. I mean, that is one thing that I know Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid will be working on his zits this offseason. Two things about the game I found interesting. Number one, third and 15 late in the game. Uh, and obviously right before he throws his 44-yard uh completion to Tyreek Hill he told me that hey regardless of what happened on third down even though there were seven and a half minutes to go at that point they were going for it on fourth down they were not going to punt the ball back to uh uh to San Francisco which I knew was a little bit of I, I kind of thought they would punt because they had their timeouts but he said no the other thing Mike just overall overriding interesting to me about Mahomes and his dad. You know, it's very well known that Mahomes' father brought him into clubhouses starting when he was four years old with the Mets in 1999, Pat Mahomes being a, an 11-year major league pitcher. But the thing that really interested me is that this continued long after Mahomes' uh, Pat Mahomes' pitching career ended, and it continued all the way into independent leagues when young Pat Mahomes would spend part of his summers on the buses in the independent leagues in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And his dad wanted him to see, A, what the work was like, and B, that it is always all about the next pitch. Forget what you've done. It is about what you will do. And I thought that really came in handy for Mahomes midway through the fourth quarter when as, as Troy Aikman said on Fox, he has not played well. You know, he threw the ball, two terrible interceptions, you know, in a nine-minute span, and then he had to come back. And, and so, to me, that's the sign of a really good football player when you can put real crap behind you. Well, and it really is not easy to do. One of the things I love to do watching a game is study the demeanor of the players and how many times do we see guys – who just have that it's really not my day vibe. Hang or, dog. I look. just I just want to go home, right? Can we just get this yeah. over with? I mean, we have been at games like that as fans where we just want to get the hell out of there and we have the ability to do so. And we've seen players from time to time, and I don't want to pick on anyone in particular, but that's been one of the knocks on Cam Newton, that when everything's going well, it's the big smile, it's the Superman thing, and when things aren't going well, he looks like somebody who just wants to go home. He, he just accepts the fact it's not my day, and you rarely see him turn it around in the middle of a bad game. And it's not easy to do. It's not just Cam Newton. There are very few quarterbacks who can find the gas pedal after three and a half quarters of, of, of just flailing around for it. And 
you have to forget about everything that's happened if you're going to have any hope of turning it on. And I think it's a great lesson for everyone, but it's, it's not an easy thing to master. And, and I think that's one of the reasons, Peter, that even though the Chiefs were down 24 to the Texans, 10 to the Titans twice, and down 10 in the fourth quarter to the 49ers and came back and won the Super Bowl, there's this sense they're on the front end of a dynasty because I think we just accept the fact that if they can do this, they can do anything. Hey, it's just like I, I said to him the other day, it kind of reminds me of what Russell Wilson did in the championship game a few years ago against Green Bay. He throws four interceptions. He's the worst player on the field. And what happens? You know, he, he has no acceptance whatsoever of losing and, and no even acknowledgement of losing. And he's going to come back and do everything he can to try to win, and he wins in overtime you know, with the great throw to uh, to curse uh, to win the game. And, and look, I guess I just look at this whole thing and I say, just as Bill Belichick was raised in a household with a mother who uh, was very well-read and, and uh, a former teacher who would make him read his homework to her when she was preparing dinner, and then the dad who was the great football coach and scout at the Naval Academy – you see both those sides of Bill Belichick. And right now, what you see in Patrick Mahomes is a never-say-die guy who's been around it his whole life, who loves it, who just desperately wants to be great. And, and, and he's seen it now with Derek Jeter, with Alex Rodriguez, with all these guys in Major League Baseball. I mean, heck, A-Rod gave him... Uh, it, it took batting practice with him. So, in my opinion... This guy is in a golden position to have a great career. The thing you said that should make the Chiefs fans feel the best and scare the bejeepers out of everyone else is that he's going to get better, that he's going to go into the lab and emerge a better, get ready, rest of the NFL. A new and improved Pat Mahomes is coming. We'll be back with Word Association on PFT Live. Des Bryant hasn't played in an NFL game in two seasons, but he wants to come back, and he wants to play for the Dallas Cowboys. He's made it known to Team COO Stephen Jones. And, hey, look, it's hard to tell from that low angle how fast he really is, and the one-handed catch is a distraction from maybe the fact that he's not moving as quickly as he needs to to be successful in the NFL. But the guy was very good when he played, and he's, he's, he's younger than Larry Fitzgerald. He entered the league seven years after Fitzgerald, so he should still have some gas in the tank, Peter. We're playing a little word association. When you hear Des Bryant say he's serious about a comeback, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Got something left in the tank. I thought that when he left when he left the NFL, Mike, and I, I, I think that there's a lot of people who are going to get invited to training camps this year. You know, everybody in the NFL can have 90 guys. I... I'd bring him to camp, and I don't know if I'd bring him to camp if I'm Jerry Jones, but if I were a team, I'd bring him to camp. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's he seems to really be ready, and that's not much of a word. That's a full sentence, but it's a delicate balance for a guy to truly be ready to do everything he needs to do to play in the NFL. I remember Randy Moss was away from football for a full season, came back to the 49ers in 2012. He had other things he needed to take care of. Not everyone is in a position to just commit their life entirely to football. And for Des Bryant, it was the torn Achilles tendon that he suffered in his first practice with the Saints in 2018 when he signed with them in November. He had to recover from that. 
and it just never really worked out for him last year. You've got to be ready to give everything you have physically, mentally, and emotionally to your craft. And you need to be ready to do it this time of year so you can be part of an offseason program, so you can get properly ensconced in the playbook, the personnel, the relationship with the quarterback. It is not easy. So many people think that this is easy and it's glamorous and it's just money and these guys just show up and play. They have to give so much of who they are to this, and it is not easy, and it is stressful. And for a guy who's going through that experience of having had a lot of money and now for a couple of seasons, no NFL revenue, that's just another stress point. It's not easy to do. It seems like he's ready, and regardless of how fast he is or isn't, I really do think he could help a team, Peter. It would be great to see him back with the Cowboys, uh, but if not the Cowboys, I hope somebody else gives him a shot. Mike, you know, the way NFL contracts work, people think, well, you know, who's going to pay him uh, before you really know what's going on? you got to sign him. you got to do this. In essence, you know, Des Bryant, you could easily structure the contract uh, so that Des Bryant gets paid when he makes the team. You know, so in other words, you basically would have four or five months of a trial basis when all he would be earning is the same off-season pay that every other player at, you know, at your facility is earning, you know, a few hundred bucks, you know, a few hundred bucks a month. And to me, that is the biggest advantage here. Basically, it's what do you have to lose? If in the middle of May, he steps out of line, you know, you say, hey, listen, it just didn't work. See you later. And he's gone. You know, it doesn't cost you anything. So that's the reason why if I were an NFL team and I had even a smidgen of a need at wide receiver, uh, I would at least do significant homework on him. And if I saw that, as you say, he really wants it and he's got something left in the tank, then bring him in. Why not? He clearly had an issue with Jason Garrett in Dallas. Now that Garrett is gone, it opens that door, at least from Dez's perspective, whether or not the Cowboys want to bring him back, a different issue. But if not Dallas, then somewhere else, other than the New York Giants, where Jason Garrett is now the offensive coordinator. The defensive coordinator in Kansas City, Steve Spagnuolo, his second Super Bowl win as a coordinator. He says he wants to be a head coach again someday. Peter, your initial reaction. You know, my initial reaction, Mike, is that Steve Spagnuolo uh, twice has done a fantastic job in a Super Bowl season, culminating in a Super Bowl win by throwing a bunch of stuff at an offense. First, Tom Brady and the Patriots in 2007. You know, next, um, obviously, Jimmy Garoppolo and the 49ers this year. But the thing that that I think is really good about a potential Spagnolo candidacy eventually is that if you ask everybody who's played for him, Strahan, Justin Tuck, and now all these guys, uh, you know, with the, with the Chiefs, they'll tell you what a great teacher he is. Now, you know, look, so many of these things when it comes to be, could this guy be a head coach again? You know, it's all on what a team wants. You know, this year, a lot of good guys didn't get to be head coaches. Eric Bieniemy, Robert Sala, uh, they didn't get their shot. But Mike, I, I come back to this time and again. The NFL needs to make a rule right now 
And the rule is the rule should say that no one can hire a coach until after the Super Bowl. And that means that Greg Roman, Robert Sala, Eric Bieniemy, those guys who did a who did great jobs during the course of the 2019 season, once the musical chairs end, they're still playing for the most part. A little bit different with Roman, but these guys mostly are still playing. And it's totally unfair. And, you know, is there really a good reason? Is there really for Matt Rule and Joe Judge to get lusted after the way they are? And, and look, that's not just this year. That happens every single year, every year. And the reason why it happens is that owners panic. Oh, well, we got to get this guy. We got to get this guy. I will always say this. The Indianapolis Colts were left at the altar, basically, by Josh McDaniels in 2017. And so what happened? Josh McDaniels doesn't go. And, you know, early on in 2018, right after the Super Bowl, and Frank Reich is sitting there who's not even been interviewed once. They hire him on February 11. He wins 10 games, wins a playoff game, and I think there's a good chance he'll be the coach of the Colts for the next 10 years. So it is a myth that you should fall in love with a guy and sign him in 10 minutes. It usually turns out bad. I have failed so far in keeping to what this topic overall it's supposed to be word association and i've and you and i have we're not doing much word Sorry. association I, i've but I, it's my fault because i'm not setting it up the right way here's my word association for steve spagnolo two words wade phillips and you could also supply for that norv turner and maybe hugh jackson guys who are good enough norv as turner got three jobs <laughs> exactly so did wade phillips wade phillips got three as well and hugh jackson got two some guys are so good as coordinators that they get themselves in position to fail at the next level. Spagnolo was 10 and 38 in three seasons with the Rams, seven and nine his second year, but one in 15 his first year and two and 14 his final year. And you have to ask yourself, is he just another guy whose, whose career is best suited to being a coordinator? He's already 60 years old. Looks good for 60. 60 years old. And uh, how much time does he have left as a coach? I don't know. But I don't know that that makes him more attractive to some of these teams. And I, I hate to say that because age discrimination is very real in the NFL. Nobody's ever going to do anything about it. But I, I think you put all those factors in a vat and you stir it up. And uh, you just have to assume and th that this is another Wade Phillips, North Turner, and or Hugh Jackson, who is very good as a coordinator, should stay a coordinator, and not aspire to a level where it's just not going to work, and he's going to just end up being miserable and ultimately get fired. Why do you want to put yourself through that, especially if you're on the other side of 60, Peter? You know, I would just say this. The the, the age doesn't bother me at all. Uh, somebody in his 60s. We saw what Tom Coughlin did. Bill Belichick's in his mid-60s. Oh, uh, it doesn't so bother me either. No, no, no. But I'm just yeah. – but, but well, how, how many times do we hear, we want to go young, we want to go energetic, you know, the, the yeah. teams use those buzzwords all the time, which would be exhibit A, B, C, D, and E for an age discrimination lawsuit if anybody would ever file one. That's my point. Yeah, and I think, you know, you look at uh, – you know, anybody you watch it, you look at the Democratic debate the other night, and three of the seven people on stage are in their 70s. Bernie Sanders is whatever. 78, 79, and he's going to win a primary today. So I, 
that's why that's why to me I think age is a little bit of a number and you got to look at each guy but but just in general I just think you got to look at every one of these cases individually and uh, you know it was pretty easy to be bad with the Rams you know it just it it was and I would hate to have on my tombstone if I was Steve Spagnolo went 2 and 14 with the Rams well, I think Bill Belichick might have gotten 5-11 and 11 max with that Ram team. And, and the only point I'm saying is so much of this also is about your surroundings, is about your situation. Let's get one more before we take our break. Word Association, after an eight-hour meeting on Friday, or actually it was Thursday, no approval of a 10-year, 17-game CBA from the NFLPA. Inevitable, unfortunately. I mean, I just look at this, Mike, and I have railed about it. I did it again in my column today that I thought the best thing that was said in the last few months about the 17-game schedule was by Richard Sherman at the Super Bowl, who said, who's on the executive committee, who said owners are pretty quick to talk about, uh, you know, uh, player health and safety, player health and safety, player health and safety. But now, you know, somehow, some way, they got pedal to the metal trying to get the 17-game season. And look, you know, obviously, obviously, both sides are listening. I mean, the players are listening, or they just shut the discussion down right away. Um, so it probably is going to happen. I just think it's unfortunate when you say, in essence, oh, my God, we were doing everything humanly possible to reduce the number of concussions and then you say, oh, by the way, we are going to play 6% more uh, snaps next year in the NFL, which will lead to, by my uh, uh, rudimentary math, an average per week, since there are nine concussions per week in the NFL, nine more concussions. And people might say, okay, we'll take nine more concussions for X number of dollars. But if you're going to do that, I don't want to hear you complaining in 2023 when the NFL puts up their concussion numbers, oh, concussions are on a steady uptick, even though we've done all this stuff for player health and safety. Yeah, I agree with you. It is inevitable. And one of the problems is, Peter, the NFLPA negotiating team has engaged the NFL for months on this concept of a 17-game season. I mean, if it's a non-starter, you don't start negotiating a 17-game season. You tell the NFL, we're not doing it, we'll never do it, and we'll take a work stoppage if it comes to it. I think really what's going on here is the NFL has made it clear that there's going to be 17 games. And they're either going to do it the easy way, where everybody gets richer, or they're going to do it the hard way, where football goes away for a season or maybe longer. Now, whether or not the owners would ever do it doesn't matter because the players will never tolerate it. That's what they're banking on. That's what we learned through the strike in 87 and the lockout in 2011. Players do not want to give up game checks. They do not want to miss games. And until they convince the NFL otherwise, the posture is going to be, this is what we want, and you know what the or else is, and we know that you don't want and won't take the or else. So you can either do the best deal possible now, or you can do the best deal possible later, as we are closing in on the first lost game checks under a lockout. And I think with the TV deals, 
needing to be renegotiated. The ratings are very good now. The presidential election this year could take a chunk out of them. A recession may be looming, which could hurt the budgets for the various networks who will be redoing their deals. I think there's a certain pragmatism at play where the NFLPA top leadership realizes these guys are going to agree to this at some point. We may as well just do it now because it helps everyone if we just do it now. But that's the bottom line. The players are engaging and negotiating, and I think eventually we'll be accepting 17 games because the NFL is willing to lock them out if they won't agree to it. We're going to take a break. When we return, is Dwayne Haskins the man in Washington under new coach Ron Rivera and a new approach by a team that's trying to turn things around? We'll discuss that next on PFT Live. Third and three at the Giants' 10-yard line. Haskins under the rush. He's going to run it. No, he's going to throw it. End zone. Cut. Cut. Touchdown. Touchdown, Stephen Sims. Haskins escaped and fired a strike to the stomach of Sims, and the Redskins are on the board. You know, I always say that a new head coach wants his own quarterback. Now, that doesn't apply, for example, when Tony Dungy becomes the coach of the Colts, and he has Peyton Manning. When it's an undeniable franchise quarterback, it's one thing. But when it's a guy that you really don't know quite who he is or what he's going to be, a guy entering his second year and you've got a new coach in Ron Rivera, you just wonder what's really going on. And Rivera has been saying that Haskins has to win the starting job. Some would assume that Haskins has already won it and has earned it and is entitled to it in 2019 or 2020, rather, his second NFL season. And uh, Peter, this one is is a little confusing to me, and I just wonder how it's all going to play out. Ron Rivera has said... Don't rule out Alex Smith, who intends to try to play again now that his broken leg and that serious infection that he suffered have healed. I, I really do wonder if this is just lighting a fire under Dwayne Haskins to try to get him to want to improve or whether it's truly a competition. And if Alex Smith performs better or someone else performs better than Haskins, the 15th overall pick is going to be on the bench. Mike, there's two quarterback situations that I think are really interesting and kind of parallel, live in a parallel universe, Chicago and Washington. Okay, so massive questions, obviously, about Mitchell Trubisky. And it's one of the reasons why the Bears have to be thinking internally. We could do better than Chase Daniel for our number two quarterback because our fate this year may end up resting uh, on the backup quarterback, whoever he is. And now you go to Washington. And to me, the biggest question about Washington, there's no way that that you're, you know, you're either seriously thinking about dumping Dwayne Haskins, yet you can't be. You picked him 15th overall. You gave him the reins to your franchise. He's going to be the quarterback this year, unless, unless, A, Alex Smith comes back healthy, and Alex Smith comes back working harder and playing better in training camp and in practice than Dwayne Haskins. Ron Rivera is going to play the best guy. And that's why it will not surprise me one iota if on opening day, Alex Smith is the quarterback of this team. It has very little to do with, oh, Dwayne Haskins took a picture, a selfie with a fan, missed the last play of the game. It is what you do now going forward. So to me, I think Alex Smith, if he's healthy and if he comes back and plays the way he did in 2017 in Kansas City or beyond that, uh, you know, was playing well in Washington, 
And so to me, Mike, I look at this and I basically say one thing. You know, Dwayne Haskins better come in on day one of the offseason program fighting to keep his job because it's not a gimme that he's going to start opening day. Senior VP of Player Personnel Doug Williams has said that it's critical Haskins stay at the facility until they run him out of the building. The most important thing is to show people you deserve to be that guy and keep doing it over and over. And I think that's what Dwayne has to do to let them know I'm here. I'm the leader. This is my team. I'm going to be the starter and I'll show you why I should be starting. And that's really the key, Peter, to get a young player to recognize you haven't earned anything. You haven't won anything. The fight isn't over. The fight is just beginning, and you've got to fight every single day. And for a guy who only started one year at Ohio State, maybe it's going to take some time for him to get that figured out. And and look, you're right. Ron Rivera is going to start the best guy. They're trying to get Dwayne Haskins in the frame of mind where he's going to prove that he's the right guy every single day. It reminds me a little bit that, you know, when Greg Schiano was in Tampa, he wanted to see Josh Freeman grab this job, take the bull by the horns, you know, say, this is my job. And he really never did that. He didn't come into the facility much on Tuesdays, which most quarterbacks in the NFL do. He didn't see a hungry guy. Haskins must be that. Full hour of PFT Live still to come. We'll be right back. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.